DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha, presents Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. Pope Francis, in his encyclical letter, Lumen Fidei, The Light of Faith, said that faith's past, the act of Jesus' love which brought new life to the world, comes down to us through the memory of others, witnesses, and is kept alive in that one remembering subject, which is the Church. The Church is a mother who teaches us to speak the language of faith. In that spirit, this series of conversations with Archbishop Lucas brings the many aspects of the Catholic faith and why it matters, not only to the individual, but also to families, communities, and the world at large. Why it Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We now continue our conversation with Archbishop Lucas, discussing Gaudium et Spes, the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world. Welcome, Archbishop Lucas. Thank you, Chris. It's good to be back with you. In so many ways, I, again, but like you, I'll put myself first. When it comes to political discourse, I will have a tendency, unfortunately, to respond to certain issues that may come up or that the expression of certain political leaders in my own response to that, which will contain a lack of virtue. Bottom line, I'll come out and I'll be very snarky about something or I will say something that, you know, I really don't even want my kids to hear me saying to another or I stand back and I look and I, did I really type that in a Facebook post? Did I did I really say that out loud to a group of friends? That's, I think, where the danger can come in, can it? Because we still feel so passionately about certain issues. Yeah, the passion is good. So we should be should be passionate about what's right and good. And so we don't want to somehow filtered passion out of out of politics or out, mm-hmm. or out of our our discussion. But but the um, the only way that we that we move forward, I think, and, and be true to our to our vocation as disciples of Jesus is to stick to the teaching, the teaching of the church for people who can accept it that way are the reasonable principles that we draw from that, 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 that others can accept and keep offering that as a gift and, and then offer also to work together with others in the community to, to bring about the, the better thing that, that, that we're looking for, not simply call for it mm-hmm. uh, or critique people who aren't, aren't doing it, but to, to be ready to, to put ourselves on the line to, to, to make it work. And we see good, good examples of that in, in all kinds of ways in our, in our community, people whose lives really are shaped by the gospel and who are, who are dedicating themselves to, to building up the lives of the life of the communities in which they live, the lives of, of their brothers and sisters and, and you know, working with those who, who will work with them. Hmm. I think that's where belonging to the parish attending mass, hearing the gospel proclaimed, being in community can help us to to bring down, hopefully, and balance us out at least and to, to bring us back to center. We have to have those elements in our life. Otherwise, we can get caught up in the big swirl and the panic and the despair and the anger that is fostered very frequently, especially in these uh, present times. Mm-hmm. 
And ultimately what the council fathers are calling for would be um, governmental structures that make it possible for uh, just what you're talking about to occur, to make it possible for, for parish communities to flourish, for neighborhoods to flourish, for individual cities and states to flourish under the, under the uh, umbrella of, of the government and do the things that are done best more locally. That's our principle of subsidiarity in the mm-hmm. church, but it works well in, in, in society too. So we, we, we would hope that the government would support and not oppose uh, policies that support families. Hope that the government would support and and not work you know work against the building up of strong city and neighborhood communities, but allow also other institutions that are that aren't of um, sort of secular. We might say like parish organizations or civic groups or fraternal organizations for those things to to also be able to flourish because they also contribute uh, often very powerfully uh, to the welfare of of the the people that they that belong to them or the people that they serve. As we continue it with Gaudi Metzpez, it will take under the last chapter, Concerned About Fostering Peace. And I think it's important when the, the previous chapter is uh, on political community, and then now we talk about the potentials of war and the violence that can happen from wars. And the church has an important part in inserting itself right into the heart of all that, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. And I'm going to go back to the context in which these were written. As you mentioned, it was the height of the Cold War, you might you might say. So that there was a, a kind of peace that resulted from the standoff between the two sides in, in the Cold War, which was, um, for many people, for a while, at least the absence of, of a hot war, of, of a killing war. But even so, because there was a sort of a war mindset, it came at a great cost. And it was, for many people at least, they experienced a, a kind of oppression that resulted from trying to keep them in line and, to, and, and from the expense that was, uh, uh, that was given to you know, military hardware and, and so forth to you know, keep up with their, their side of the, of the Cold War. Understand this is a challenge from the, from the time of Adam and Eve for people in the human family to, to live together in peace. It's not. Um, we, just, we can't take it for granted. And understanding, the scriptural understanding of peace, as the fathers point out, is, is much richer than just don't fight with one another. Mm-hmm. That's a start. But it won't be enough because it can't, it, it, that just won't last. You know, there, there's, there's not enough richness in, the, in a relationship either between individuals or certainly among countries uh, of just tolerating each other. But there has to be some kind of mutual understanding, uh, exchange of ideas, exchange of goods, and appreciation for, uh, for, for, other, for other cultures. Effective sin that, uh, that would lead us individually, but ultimately corporately to declare war and, and go to war against each other, that, that's, that's a wound that's ultimately healed by the, the power of, of, of the Paschal Mystery when we allow that power to go to work in us. First individually, but then together. As I said before, because there are so many of us who who claim uh, life in, in Jesus Christ, we, we really uh, see as a part of our responsibility to, uh, to be peacemakers and, mm-hmm. and to not simply stay out of trouble ourselves and not simply ha- have the absence of war, but but work together with our neighbors, with our go- our government, to, to be a force for for good in, in the world. 
we want to establish peace that isn't only a lack of hostilities, but a peace that recognizes the dignity of the human person and creates the the atmosphere, the the culture, the economy, all of the things that 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 support life. All of those things that that will enhance human flourishing and human understanding. So it may surprise some that the church may, on occasion, seem to. I'm using I'm choosing my words carefully, but they seem to support actions that will protect the vulnerable in a particular situation or in a country or where there's an aggression that is violating the dignity of, and um, quite frankly, I mean, the very lives of the innocent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and mean, it shouldn't surprise anybody that we're on the side of, of the vulnerable. And it's the vulnerable that that's suffer first, uh, whether it's from a bad economy or, or worse, from you know, from open um, open hostilities, we hear the popes consistently uh, speak uh, for peace and and to exhort world leaders, leaders of, of nations, to to work together for peace and and to stop short of open hostilities as a solution to, to problems and and look for for other ways to, to do it. That's in line with the gospel, of course, but it's a it's a recognition, you know, that, that war is just so costly. It costs in all kinds of ways. But the vulnerable particularly suffer. Certain members of society, the young, usually are sent to fight the wars and, and suffer the, the most immediately in uh, terms of death, but then also other casualties and other disruptions to their lives and, and to families for years to, to come. There are moments in our tradition we have supported necessity of a country going to war to defend itself or to defend others in other places from oppression, from, from violence. So again, we do that as, as a last resort, but as is the case with, with politics, this is a little more extreme. We can't simply tolerate grave injustices. We have to stand up to them and, and, and try to restore what's really justice, the right ordering of things, if we have a reasonable expectation of, of being able to do that. But even when those circumstances are, are exist, when it would be necessary and important for, for a country to go to war, to, to, and the most obvious thing would be to defend itself, to defend its own citizens, its own, its own integrity. A, a huge price is paid for that. And, and I, it's important that we gauge the cost, you know, and not in, simply because it's costly, say, well, okay, we're, we're just going to let ourselves be, be overrun. It's, it's a recognition that when, when human persons and in this case, communities of people, countries go, go to war against each other. It's a serious harm it, it is done all around. There's a, an importance, you know, if, if for a just cause a, a country would go to war, that there's a, the, the impulse, you know, to do everything you can to, to win, to set things right. Uh, not simply to clobber the, the other side, but to mm-hmm. restore a, a situation where peace can be possible. Get kind of revved up, you might say, uh, to go all out for, for, for something, even if it's, if it's a just cause, and, and find ourselves sometimes in excesses, violence of hatred of, of whatever, that seem to help the cause, but in the long run may not help us and, mm-hmm. and may not really help the, you know, the, the cause of, of lasting peace going forward. So it's complicated, and it's hard to sort that out when you're in the middle of it, uh, as it is on the battlefield, you might say, you know, in, in the... In the throes of, of a violent conflict, it, it, it's sometimes 
hard to make the choice between what's right and what's wrong and what's where do we draw the line, what, what, what's excessive. It's asking a lot of ourselves. And so I think the, the wisdom has always been, to, can, can our country find another way to work together to, to solve a, a problem in a just manner, not ignoring injustice, but solve it in a just way that, that doesn't involve us in a, in a major conflict. We'll return to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas in just a moment. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. We now return to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. It's important, too, that, as the document would say, that the destruction of an inhabited areas of people is a crime against God and humanity. That's often you will hear the voice of the Vatican cry out with many others that will say, uh, there's an injustice. You know, at the times of this recording, there is what seems to be a unjustified action taking a place in Ukraine, where we see many things that have actually are occurring in other countries, but not, don't necessarily have a television camera or smartphones to be able to record them all. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, well, it's clear that cities where ordinary people live, hospitals, schools are being being attacked. You know, by uh, from a distance. You know, you know. So there, it's not a danger to the people who are, who are not that, that this would justify it at all. But it's not a danger to those who are who are attacking. Um, but it's it's causing death and destruction to, for, to innocent people who are not not combatants. Um, it, sadly, it's become a given uh, in our time over, over the last century or more that that if countries go to war, that lots of innocent people are going to get get ground up in the in the conflict. So do we just accept that, you know, and say this is this is the way it goes uh, from time to time? Or, as I think the council fathers were urging us to think, we, we, we've come to a point now in human history and in the ability to wage war where it should be less and less thinkable that we would do it. Because the, the ability to, to wreak violence on, on others and, and to bring destruction in a kind of an indiscriminate way, that, that because we have that now at our, at our disposal, that more is the responsibility to not use it, and and to look for other ways to to, to solve to solve difficulties. Uh, it, there's just not a, a way in ordinary circumstances, you know, to, to justify killing innocent people, even in a in the name of, of a good cause. 
We're speaking, of course, uh, now in the context of the larger global uh, engagements that can occur between countries. Even within countries, when, again, political factions disagree or certain uh, agendas of different groups, uh, they feel they're being violated, so they act out and cause harm. Those are in themselves are are mini wars. I don't. I, that sounds like a, a bad way of describing it, but in essence, it is exactly what we've been talking about: the same type of destruction, harm, and chaos that can occur. It's a reminder to us that that it's important for us to be involved in the work of creating, to the extent that we can, structures in governments, in parties, uh, that uh, structures that really are interested in building up the common good and that respect the rights of all and that respect the, the, the needs of the vulnerable, uh, particularly. There is um, a temptation uh, since the time of, of uh, Cain and Abel uh, to, to use power against an, another uh, because we have it, and to uh, exercise a disproportionate power or, or, or violence uh, because it's at our disposal and it helps us to, to get our way. The, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, reminds us that that, that that's not the way forward uh, for us if we are to be his disciples and, and if we're to do our best to structure a, co- a community that, that is um, patterned after God's own desires, uh, re- revealed to us in the scriptures and, and written in the human heart. One thing that if we could address, Archbishop, is as the shepherd of, of a community of people and as you watch there can be, even within that Catholic community, great divisions that can come about because of the political systems. We've touched on portions of that. How would you guide your people when it may seem as though we allow the political structure that is in some ways good, maybe it's a political party that is in some ways good, but then other has other elements that are very troubling, what do we do when faced with those areas that are troubling within those parties? How do we reconcile? How do we function as Catholics in those parameters? It's important that we remember our identity. We sometimes talk about identity politics, but, but mm-hmm. identity faith comes first. And uh, we find our identity as daughters and sons of God, uh, redeemed by Jesus Christ, incorporated into, into his living body. The body of Christ does not function uh, according to, to political principles uh, of this age or, or, or of any other age. It functions according to the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the revealed truths of, of, of sacred scripture. The teachings of, of our faith, you know, get, um, interpreted for us by pastors in, in every generation. It's a corruption of the church, really, when political structures become sort, sort of our default way of, of dealing with with life in the church or, or with, with our brothers and sisters. As it turns out, I think we're, we're all aware that uh, the, the church is not a democracy. And you know, we sometimes say that jokingly. We're trying to get, just get people to go, go along with something. Uh, but this is the church of Jesus Christ. He's the, he's the head of the church and is our chief teacher. Uh, it's only in and through him that we have life in this world and, and, and in the world to come. And it's only in and through him that we can accomplish uh, the work that God has give, given us to uh, to do in the real circumstances in, in, in which we're living. So Jesus sends us into the world. It's very clear that, that we don't 
we're not all living in a cave or even in a monastery as beautiful as that would be. But most of us who are baptized, our, our work is, is in the world, so we don't with, withdraw from it at all. But when we go into the world, who are we? That's what, what many of us, I think, have a little mixed up right now. Uh, we're, we're going as disciples of Jesus Christ, not as Democrats or, or Republicans or Libertarians or anybody else. And uh, when we come back together to foster our life together in the church, to worship together, to pray together, and, and to reflect together on, on our life, our, our, our responsibility, it's, it's to the gospel that we turn for guidance, for, for our principles, and, and not to the, what we would say the wisdom of the world. Yeah, I've had to gut check myself often when I have to remind myself that I am not an American Catholic. I'm a Catholic American. And everything else flows from that, mm-hmm. whether the party or whatever system comes after that, um, even being a big Red Husker fan. That comes way down there at the, the bottom of the list. But the priority number one for me is that mm-hmm. I'm a Catholic Christian. Yeah, it doesn't mean that the other things are unimportant. They're, they're very important. They're sometimes matters of life and death for, for, for our neighbors and, and for other, other people in the world. So we don't turn away from them and, and, and withdraw from them. But what's the unique thing that we can bring as disciples of, of Jesus Christ? There um, are, are a lot of people in this party or, or that party who, who come with ideas and gifts and experience. But what's the unique thing that, that a Catholic brings uh, to, uh, to this? Political life often revolves around trying to keep the other side from getting what they want. And, you know, that just can't be our mindset as disciples of Jesus Christ. Our, our uh, mindset should be, what, what, what is Jesus asking me to do in this situation? How do I hear, hear the voice of Jesus here, and, and what, what's he inviting uh, from me? Uh, um, maybe it's, it's to keep somebody from getting what they want if what they want is bad. But, but we don't begin with that. Mm-hmm. Um, we begin with him, we, it's, it's why the life of prayer is so important for disciples of Jesus Christ. It's not simply a pious practice, you know, for people who are trying to be, trying to be more religious. But um, in prayer, we, we allow the Lord to speak to us. Uh, we allow him to invade our thoughts and invade our emotions in, in a, a beautiful, good way, invade our, look, kind of dwell in our hearts. We uh, are moved to, to ask, Lord, I know you have a plan for our community, for our country. I, I reveal your plan uh, to us so that we can do our best to, to fulfill it. Again, I would say respectfully, holding myself accountable too, that there's not enough of that right now among, among, our, among our Catholic people. And I think our country is suffering as a result, uh, not simply because we're not getting our way or winning on certain issues, but because we're not bringing to, to, to our brothers and sisters in the community what what. We, uniquely, we, we have to bring the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. Archbishop, we are coming to the conclusion of uh, our conversations about the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world. Any final thoughts, anything that you feel uh, important that we should you know, take with us? I would say two thoughts. Uh, one is uh, we shared earlier, so we talked about some of the other documents. If you have a chance, pick it up and read it. Um, you don't have to try to plow through it all in one sitting, but uh, almost any paragraph in, in this pastoral constitution has uh, food for thought and, and meditation for us in our contemporary situation. I think it holds up well over, over all these decades. Uh, my second thought is one of gratitude uh, for our Catholic faith and for the, the truths of our faith, which we say are 
ever ancient, ever new. So they're, they're age-old uh, teachings, but they're fresh. And as I was just saying, you know, the more we understand the richness of our faith, the, the more we have something re- really important and creative to bring uh, to the situations we find ourselves in, whether that's in our families or in na- national politics, you, you name it. Jesus doesn't want us to shrink from those challenges. He's, he sends us right there. But why? You know, why, why would he be sending you or me? What is it that, that, we're, um, that we're called to bring? As we reflect on the truths of our faith that are articulated in more recent times in the, the documents of the Second Vatican Council, I, I, I think we've grown in appreciation uh, for what is ours in the church, for the real treasury of faith and of, of truth that, uh, that we have. It nourishes us individually, but then really arms us uh, to face the challenges that, that are always going to be present and certainly are present to us now. Thank you so much, Archbishop Lucas. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this program has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to bring authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas.